It's good to be back with you. I do want to thank you for uh, keeping me in your prayers. Um, I can tell you that those prayers were felt. Um, and singing the songs of Zion, I'm a little bit of jealous. Uh, my dad got to see it first. Um, I'm so glad that uh, he came to know the Lord before he passed away. And uh, that's the good news of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That lives can be changed and destinations can be turned around. And so, um, one day he was changed by the power of God. And uh, that's what we preach. (laughs) That's what we proclaim is the gospel that changes lives. Uh, My uh, sermon today is a tale of two churches. Boy, I don't remember using that font, but okay. (laughs) I'm sorry if you go cross-eyed reading that. Uh, Years ago, my wife and I took our two girls for a weekend camping trip. We went to a Jellystone campground. And uh, if you've ever been to one, they're big and uh, uh, they're family friendly. There's always something uh, for the kids to do. And so we spent the weekend together having fun. And then Sunday rolled around. And so we decided to go to church. And I'm not exactly sure what I wore, but it was probably a nice pair of jeans or khakis and a t-shirt from one of our church building trips. And so we headed out. And from the moment that we walked through the doors of this church, we could feel how cold it was. I can't remember being greeted. I can't remember anyone speaking with us. I really can't remember anyone lifting a finger to make us feel welcome. But I sure felt like we stuck out, and not in a good way. We were from the campground, and we didn't belong. And I thought about the hundreds and hundreds of people coming through that campground. And they were literally in this church's backyard. And they weren't welcome. Another time, my wife and I went to Gettysburg for a vacation. And on Sunday, we stopped at a church as we were heading home. We were met at the door by the pastor. He shook our hands. He got to know us. He was excited to hear uh, that... We were in the process of planning a church, and we felt like we were welcome and appreciated. We sat through the service. The church was ordaining a new deacon, and the pastor asked for all of the ordained men to come forward, and he he pointed at me, and he motioned for me to come forward. (laughs) And so, even though I was a guest, I got to come to the front of the church and pray over this young man as he uh, began his uh, work as a deacon. And then when the service was over, 
and we were getting ready to leave, the pastor came up to us and he said, Hey, guess what? We're having a luncheon. And we want you guys to stay. We want you to eat with us. Will you stay and share a meal? And that's what we did. Uh, we made a lot of new friends that day. It was a good day. And my wife and I still talk about how warmly we were treated. So the question comes down to this. Which one of those two churches will yours be? Will you be warm and welcoming? Or will you be cold and turn people away? Will you put Jesus on display? Or will you focus on yourselves? Will you be promoting Jesus' vision for your church? Will you be busy with the work and the ministry that He's given you to do? Or will you be nothing more than a religious club? A holy huddle that meets once a week and then leaves without ever really experiencing Jesus. Which one will it be? Can I help you out? Jesus is the one who established the church. He died for the church. The church is His. And as a part of His church, we should want what He wants. We should want to be on mission for Jesus. But how can we be sure that we're honoring and pursuing Jesus like we should be? How can we be sure that we stay on track? Well, the answer is actually a little easier than you might think. We go back to the basics. We go back to the fundamentals. And that means going back to the book of Acts. Now, I'm going to try this clicker. Look at that. <laughs> I'm a clicker master. It only took me eight weeks preaching here to figure it out. <laughs> this is what the Word of God says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are the fundamentals. Luke is giving us a snapshot of the church. And he says, these are the things that are first and foremost. These early Christians devoted themselves to four things. And these things are vitally important for the life and the health and the well-being of the church. Every church. And I want us to go through them one by one. But before we do, I, I want to stop and take a closer look at this phrase, they devoted themselves. Okay? It means they were persistent. It means they persevered and they didn't give up. They did other things, okay? They lived full lives. But these four things were their priorities. These were the things that really mattered. 
and they shaped and defined everything else in their lives. So as we go through these four things, I want you to realize this isn't a checklist. God expects us to plant these things so that they take root and grow and overflow into our lives as believers and into our church life. Okay? So, with that in mind, let's dive right into the first thing. The Apostles' Teaching. In the early days of the church, the apostles taught the Word of God. And they were inspired by God to write. And what we have today, between the covers of our Bible, is a God-breathed Word. It's a true Word. It's a Word that has authority over our lives. The Bible is God's self Revelation, who He is and what He's like, His will, His ways, His commands for our lives. And that's why it comes first. In a few minutes, we'll be talking about fellowship and worship and prayer, but we can't understand those things and do them right until we've immersed ourselves in God's Word. God doesn't just want fellowship. He wants fellowship done right. He wants worship and prayer done right. So we begin with the Word of God. A serious study of the Word of God with a heart that's humble and teachable. I'm afraid that we've lost our reverence for God's Word. The God of all creation has something to say. Do you understand that? The God who spun galaxies into existence and breathed life into every living creature has something to say to you and me. He's speaking. He's speaking a message of love and grace and forgiveness. He's speaking a message of healing. He's speaking a message of vision and hope for the future. His words are life-giving. Through His Word we see God and we hear His voice. God invites us to meet Him in the pages of His Word. He'll guard our hearts and guide our steps. He'll show us His plans, and He'll keep us pure. He'll rebuke us when we fall into sin, and He'll gently restore us so that our lives will be God-pleasing. That's the power of the Word of God. And if you want a church that's on mission with God, you'll want men in leadership who have a passion for God's Word. Your pastor should be a Psalm 119 man. He should love the Word of God. He should read it and studying it with rejoicing. And he should love teaching it. This is uh, Paul writing to his young protege, 
Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to the power behind these words. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's the charge that's given to every pastor. And the heart and soul of every pastor's mission should be to preach and teach God's Word. But it's not just the pastor, okay? If you want a a church that's growing and thriving, then the people in the pews have to love God's Word too. What Luke's telling us in Acts uh, 2.42 isn't just for pastors. It's the, it's the whole church, okay? All of the believers were devoting themselves to the Word. So let me ask you a question. How important is God's Word in your church? Is there a culture that encourages you to read and study? When you come together, do you have opportunities to talk and share and ask questions? Is the Bible front and center where it should be? And if you'll let me pry a bit, how important is the Bible to you? Is it gathering dust on the coffee table? Or are you reading it for yourself? Can you honestly say that you, that you are devoting yourself to God's Word? That's key. Not just the pastor, not just the culture of the church, but you and I personally are to love the Word and devote ourselves to the Word. That's the first step. Number two is fellowship. There's a Greek word for this, koinonia, and it's used throughout the New Testament. Here's how one writer defines it. I like this. The intimate bond of fellowship that unites Christians. Too often we associate fellowship with food. Maybe that's part of our Baptist heritage. Fellowshipping means sitting together over fried chicken and mashed potatoes. But in the New Testament, it means so much more than sharing a meal. I want us to see three aspects of fellowship. I'm sure there are more, but these are the things that stuck out to me as I was reading and studying. Uh, First of all, fellowship means being united in the faith. As believers, we have shared faith. There's diversity within the church. We come from different backgrounds. We have different personalities and spiritual gifts. But we are one under the Lordship of Jesus. I love this passage out of the book of uh, Ephesians. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the peace of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, part of fellowship is coming to accept diversity as a part of God's plan for the church. Each one of us is uniquely made in God's image, uniquely gifted. But we also strive for unity. God's design for the church is to take all of these different gifts and backgrounds and passions and join them together so that they move in one direction. God has a vision for this church. He wants to work through Moundsville Baptist Church to impact this community with the gospel. And part of biblical fellowship means praying and seeking God to know what that vision is. And when you know what it is, you embrace it. You look for ways to make His vision a reality and you look for ways that you can support it. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's giving. Maybe you have a spiritual gift that God wants to put to work. Whatever it is, step up. (laughs) Be faithful. And do your part. Fellowship means unity in the faith. Joining with God and joining with each other to pursue God's vision for your church. Fellowship also means... See how I'm not so good at this. Yeah, yeah, it's the battery. (laughs) It's not the operator, okay? Fellowship means living in community. In a very real way, God expects us as believers to live as a family. The church is a Christian family. And he has a lot to say about how our family should work, how we should live together. He gives us a whole series of commands. Maybe these sound familiar. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Build up one another. Live in peace with one another. Care for one another. Love one another deeply. Do you get the picture? We don't just shake hands and sing a few songs when the church doors are open. We are a community of believers, the family of God, and we should live like it. So fellowship means unity in the faith. Fellowship means a sense of community, and fellowship also means being a part of something bigger. It means being a part of the universal church and its mission. And this is all over the New Testament. The churches that Paul planted were faithfully praying for Paul 
on the mission field. The Philippians were making gifts regularly to Paul's ministry. And when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, he was actually taking a gift that he collected to help the Christians who were living in that city. Here's the point. You are not an island. Your church is not an island. You're a part of the work of God right here and all over the world. What are you doing to reach outside the walls of this church and help Christians who are hurting in another part of the world? What are you doing to reach outside the walls of this church to support kingdom work in another part of the world? We have to broaden our focus. We have to see things from God's perspective. We memorize John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. Can we look beyond Moundsville and see what God is doing around the world? Do you have a heart for the world? Pray and work for the gospel right here in your own backyard. But pray and work for the gospel around the world too. Be a part of that. Reaching the unreached with the life-giving Word of God. Devote yourselves to fellowship. Next is worship. Oh, look at this. I may have to give the clicker back. (laughs) Unqualified. Luke says next that these early believers devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now that's not shared meals. Luke tells us that was happening too. But this is different. This is the bread of communion. He's telling us they were gathering for regular times of worship. They were going to the temple too. They were praying. They were singing hymns in the temple court. But they were devoting themselves to house worship. Coming together with fellow believers and sharing a time of Christ-centered worship. They took the bread and they took the cup and they worshipped Jesus. And I think this is an important reminder for us as we live and minister in the 21st century. Our worship has to be Christ-centered. It used to be that people everywhere shared a heritage, a Judeo-Christian heritage. If you said God, people understood what you meant. His story. You have to sing His songs. You have to preach His gospel. Jesus 
has to be the focus. And with that in mind, I think we should probably stop and take a look at what Jesus himself had to say about worship. You might remember in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, we see Jesus having an encounter with a Samaritan woman. And she tries to draw Jesus into a debate. Where should we worship Jesus? We have a sacred mountain in Samaria, but you Jews say we should go to Jerusalem when we worship. Which one is right? And Jesus wasn't interested in where we worship. He was looking at the heart. What kind of worship are we offering? That's what matters. And here's what he said in John 4.23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So if we want to worship in a way that pleases God, we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. And I could spend a whole sermon talking about those two things. But I want you to get the big picture. If you want a church that's showing and sharing the love of Jesus, you want to get your worship right. And we begin by worshiping in spirit. Worship is an encounter with the living God. It's not about externals, right? It's not about empty rituals. It's about the inside. It's about a heart that's bowed in submission to a holy God. It's about a heart that's longing for God. It's about a joy-filled heart. It's about a heart that's excited to hear what God is up to. Our times of worship should make our hearts ready. And then we join our hearts together and we praise Jesus. We honor Jesus. We lift up Jesus. That's worshiping in spirit. But there's more. Jesus also said that we have to worship in truth. Well, a true worship is an authentic worship. God's not interested in a worship that's fake or two-faced. Don't live like the devil for six days and then come to church and belt out a few hymns and drop a 20 in the plate and think you've worshipped. Be genuine. Be authentic. Jesus took worship seriously. You remember? He said if you come to worship and you remember that you have an issue with a brother, you go. You go now. And you settle things with your brother. And then come back and worship. We have to deal with our sins. We have to deal with our issues so we can give God a worship that's true. A worship that's real. What's God looking for? He's looking for things like brokenness. 
honesty, confession, devotion, thankfulness. Those are the building blocks of an authentic worship. These early believers, they devoted themselves to God's Word. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to godly worship. And then here's the last thing that I want us to see. Prayer. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that it's true. This first century church made prayer a priority. In Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus ascending into heaven. And then verse 14 tells us this, they all joined together constantly in prayer. In Acts chapter 12, Peter was arrested and thrown into jail. But then in verse 5 it says, the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter's release. And then in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are arrested and beaten and they're jailed. But in their jail cell, guess what's happening? They're praying. And they're worshiping God in song. This early church understood that there's power in prayer. A healthy, growing, God-pleasing church is a praying church. I read this wonderful quote from Martin Luther. Listen to what he says. Prayer is the hardest work of all. A labor above all labors. There is no greater work than praying. I think many churches have lost sight of that. Number one, prayer is a priority. It's part of every church's mission statement. If the church doesn't pray, who will? Honestly, who will? It's our responsibility. And number two, prayer is hard work. A ministry of prayer takes time and effort. It's more than just saying grace and now I lay me down to sleep. It means facing hard things. Maybe even facing hurtful things and getting down on your knees and lifting those things up to God. It means having a heart that's humble and broken. A heart that's trusting God to hear. And a heart that's trusting God to move in a mighty way and bring an answer that's good and right and true. Are you willing to do that? That's what devoting yourself to prayer looks like. And that's what will energize your church. I believe everything else that Luke's been describing for us is strengthened and supported by prayer. We can't preach or teach God's Word without the power of prayer. We can't have fellowship that builds a real sense of community and connectedness without praying for God to make that a reality. 
And we can't have authentic, God-honoring worship without bathing it in prayer. I want to share a quote from Corey Tenboom. You may remember that she was a Holocaust survivor and an amazing voice for Christian faith and living. And she asked a simple question. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You see, a spare tire stays in the trunk. Most of us don't even give it a thought unless we happen to get a flat. We only pull it out if we absolutely have to. But a steering wheel turns the car. That's what determines which way the car goes. You can't go anywhere without having your hands on the steering wheel. So when it comes to your walk with God and living out your faith day by day, I think God would say, grab the steering wheel of prayer. (laughs) Grab the steering wheel and don't let go. Devote yourselves to prayer. I know your church is still in the midst of a pastoral search. I was happy to hear uh, the, uh, the update. I want you to know that I've been praying for you as you've gone through this process. And I, I felt led to share these fundamentals with you to keep your eyes and your hearts focused on the things that really matter. You may want to pray for your church, especially for your deacons as they lead and for your uh, search committee as they continue to do their work. You may want to pray for yourself. It may be that God has pointed out an area in your life where you really aren't fully devoted like you should be. Or maybe God's burdened you in some other way. Whatever it may be, uh, I want to invite you to, to come as we have a time of invitation and prayer. God bless you. Listen as God speaks to your heart in these next few moments.